Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. We share good news and godly wisdom to empower you to be salt and light in every season of life. Just a simple glance at the daily news and we see that the whole earth is full of shakings, both economically and ecologically. In this episode, Doug shares his heart and an article he wrote and published in 2012 that we recognize as a timely word for the day in which we live. After the episode, check out our show notes on your favorite streaming platform and visit awardandseasonpodcast.org to download a free 30-day devotional that will encourage you to draw closer to the Lord. If you gleaned anything from this podcast, consider paying it forward with a gift at somebodycares.org. Now let's join our host, Doug Stringer. As I was reflecting on this past Pentecost 2022, I was reminded of how we need a Holy Spirit outpouring, a heart awakening, and revival of the church more than ever before. Oftentimes, to get an understanding of where we are, where things are going, I look back at some of the things that maybe I've posted or written about or sought the Lord about in times past. In fact, I wrote this in 2010, and I posted this the day before Pentecost. Just a simple glance at the daily news, we can see that the whole earth is full of shakings, both economically and ecologically. We have seen the horrors of human tragedies depicted on the television screens, and truly everything that can be shaken has been shaken. In some instances, we've even seen the exasperation and unnecessary loss of life due to faulty foundations and infrastructures. And sadly, I've personally witnessed this far too often after major natural and human crises and disasters. Conversely, Scripture gives us clear examples of the necessity both spiritually and practically to build on a deep and solid foundation, a sure and firm foundation that is unshakable. Yet it seems that even in the church, we've been willing to compromise and cut corners, thus, I believe, causing many to be shipwrecked. David Ravenhill, a longtime friend, in his book Bloodbot, amply challenges us when he says, if we fail to understand the full message of the cross, our very foundation is questionable and our faith is faulty at best. We live in futility if we're building by any other means than on the foundation of the cross of Christ. I remember learning from David's father, the late Leonard Ravenhill, that many want to experience the power of Pentecost in the upper room, yet think they can do so without going to the cross. It seems there continues to be a de-Christianizing, a decrossing of the church, thus professing a form of godliness but denying the source of its power. We have propped up the institution without the foundation by which we are endued, thus rendering us powerless to see an authentic transforming revival. To me, it's alarming to see so many professing Christians who do not even understand the centrality of their faith, the high cost of Calvary, so great a salvation through Christ at the cross that provides our redemption and provides us the hope that we desperately need. I pray that the Holy Spirit would give us a fresh revelation of the work of the cross and rediscover the truth of our redemption. Interestingly, I wrote this in 2010. In 2012, after a visit to the excavation site of the Tabernacle of Shiloh in Israel, I wrote this other article called, Is the Glory of God Departing from Us? That was published in Charisma Magazine, July 2012, and various other publications. Some told me back then that they thought it was a prophetic word, and it challenged us even back then. But I realized how much more today do we need this message. Here's what I wrote. 1 Samuel 4 tells the story of one of Israel's darkest hours. 
Israel had been defeated by the Philistines. The priests of God were dead. The Ark of the Covenant had been captured. After hearing the news of the Ark and the death of her father-in-law and husband, Eli's daughter-in-law and wife of Phinehas, the priest, named her newborn son Ichabod, meaning the glory of God has departed. What was it that led to this dark hour? How did it come to be that the presence of God departed the land and from the people? And what can we in the church today learn from this sobering time in Israel's history? Let's talk about the tabernacle of Shiloh. During one of our visits in Israel, my wife and I visited an excavation site where the tabernacle once stood in Shiloh, as told of in 1 Samuel chapters 1-4. through 4. While standing in the very location, actually kneeling in that very location, where Hannah would have cried out to God, Lisa and I began to pray from the depths of our hearts. As I prayed, the Lord gave me a renewed perspective of the significance of what happened there. There were two significant events unfolding in the days leading up to Israel's defeat and the loss of the ark, the first of which should serve as a sobering warning to us today, and the other as a message of hope in a dark and difficult time. The first thing was the dimming of the lamp of God due to the disobedience and compromise of the nation's leadership. Specifically, it was the wickedness of the priests Hophni and Phinehas and the apathy of their father, Eli, who did nothing to correct his sons, which led to Ichabod, the glory of God, departing from the nation. Scripture tells us that Hophni and Phinehas had no regard for the Lord. They engaged in temple prostitution, and they took advantage of the worshipers who came to sacrifice at Shiloh. Moreover, they neglected their priestly duties, one of which was to keep the lamp in the holy place filled with oil so that the flame would never burn out. As this tragedy was unfolding, however, there was another part of the story developing which serves as a message of hope in the midst of difficulty. Despite the wickedness of the priests, God was still working His plan of redemption. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, a barren woman cried out to God for a son, pledging to dedicate his life to the Lord if a request was granted. The Lord answered her cry, and Hannah's son, Samuel, came to Shiloh as a young child to serve in the house of God. Out of a humanly impossible situation, the Lord brought forth a new generation, a righteous prophet and judge in Samuel. 1 Samuel 3, 3 tells us that the lamp of God had not yet gone out when the Lord first called Samuel. Though the Lord intended to bring judgment to Hophni and Phinehas, he also promised to raise up a faithful priest who would follow his commands. You see, our private disobedience becomes public powerlessness. So as I reflected in all that had happened in Shiloh, I was struck with this sobering truth. Private disobedience causes public powerlessness. Hophni and Phinehas were engaged in private disobedience. They were profaning the holy things of God, neglecting their responsibilities to steward that which was entrusted to them. They abused their priestly authority and took advantage of the people. It is likely these sons of Eli thought they could continue in their sin with no repercussions. Though what they did in secret may not have been known or spoken of in public, God saw it and the repercussions of their private sin impacted the entire nation. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 1-3, through 3, the Israelites suffered a defeat at the hands of the Philistines, and as a result, they decided to call for the Ark of the Covenant to go with them into their next battle, thinking it would save them. 
They didn't realize God's presence had already left them, and the ark would not bring them the victory they had sought. Sadly, they were defeated again, and this time the ark was captured, and Hophni and Phinehas died on the day of battle. Like Israel, many in the church today, many of us are just going through the motions, relying on traditions and practicing what I call institutional Christianity. We need incarnation of Christ in the church again. But God's presence is no longer there and our institutions are powerless. We have been fooled into thinking our private sin goes unnoticed. But what we do in private does have a public corporate effect or consequence. The enemy continues to win battles and take ground in our nation, largely while the church goes about our business as usual. We blame our losses on the government, politicians, or those who disagree with us with little understanding of the role we've played in our own defeat. The key to victory is not the ark, nor our Christian institutions, but obedience. Disobedience causes the lamp to go out and the presence of God to depart. Without His presence, there can be no victory. Ezekiel 22 describes a disobedient Israel that reminds me much of what I see in our culture today. It describes the five kinds of people, the five P's is what I call them, who had turned away from the ways of the Lord. The Lord calls out the princes, the politicians, the prophets, the priests, or may I say pastors included in that, and the people for turning from the Lord and allowing the shedding of innocent blood in the land, allowing corruption and unrighteousness to prevail. Many overlooking what was going on around them for personal preference and profit. Does it sound familiar? In verse 30, the Lord says, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. God was looking for a faithful priest, a prophet, a judge, who like Samuel would follow his commands. I believe God is issuing the same warning to us today. Like Israel before us, We are unaware that the lamp of God is growing dim and the oil is about to run out and the presence of the Almighty is departing from the land. God is looking for a righteous remnant who will follow His commands and honor His word. Our politicians and princes are corrupted. Our prophets and priests lack moral clarity. The people are drowning in a sea of iniquity and perversion. What can we do? Prepare, prepare, prepare. For those who will heed God's warning, there was a call to prepare for the days ahead. This is what I call a threefold call to prepare the bride, to prepare the ark, and to prepare the way of the Lord. One man who heeded God's warning and prepared was Noah. In Hebrews 11 verse 7, it says that by faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear and prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Noah lived in dark days full of corruption and immorality, but he heeded God's warning that judgment was coming and prepared accordingly. As a result, his household was saved, as were all the living things that came with him on the ark. Likewise, I believe God wants his church to prepare for the days ahead and be an ark of refuge in times of trouble. By preparing and getting in alignment to God's kingdom principles, both individually and corporately, we can be ready to be a help to others. When disaster strikes or difficulties come, 
we will have an opportunity for our testimony. I love Luke 21 verse 13, and I share this often. In the midst of all the difficulties around us and all the challenges, be it individually or corporately or globally, it says in Jesus' own words, but it shall be an occasion for your testimony. Revelation 19.7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Likewise, as those awaiting the coming of the bridegroom, we too must prepare and make ourselves ready. How can the bride prepare herself? One clue we have in scriptures is the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25. The parable says that there were five wise virgins and five foolish virgins. The wise virgins were prepared for the arrival of the bridegroom by having their lamps filled with oil. Yet the foolish virgins had allowed their oil to run out, and when the bridegroom came, they had no light by which to see. Just like Hophni and Phinehas, these foolish virgins neglected to keep the lamp filled with oil, and as a result, they were left behind when the bridegroom arrived. Sadly, much of the church today is like the five foolish virgins. We have become apathetic in our approach toward the things of God. We have not kept the oil, representing the presence and anointing of the Holy Spirit in our lamps. We have grown accustomed to the darkness around us, and we are unprepared for the days ahead. I believe God is calling His people to wake up and shake loose from our apathy and lethargy. He is calling us to hear the divine warning about the days to come and to prepare, prepare, prepare. We must prepare ourselves for His coming by trimming our lamps with oil. We must prepare the church as an ark of refuge for those who are in need. We must prepare the way of the Lord. The times we're facing, I believe, are truly difficult times. Everything around us is being shaken, so that only that which cannot be shaken will remain. We see that in Hebrews 12, 27. Many foresee a great economic collapse, fires, floods, earthquakes, and natural disasters abound. The moral failure of our leaders and decline of our culture continues. Now, let me stop for a moment. Now, remember, I published this in 2012. Let me go on. These challenging times should cause us to heed the warnings of a God who loves us and wants to save us from the day of trouble. But they should also cause us to rejoice in the hope that remains. God desires to redeem and restore us. He is looking for the faithful with whom He can change a nation. In the midst of Hophni and Phinehas' private disobedience, God was already preparing to raise up Samuel out of what seemed to be an impossible situation. Hannah cried out to God in desperation for a miraculous fulfillment of promise. God had not forsaken Hannah, nor had he forgotten Israel. He had a perfect plan and a perfect timing. Samuel represented a new prophetic voice that would rise in the land. He representing a righteous generation to replace that which was profaned. I believe that in America, God is calling to raise up a new prophetic voice of courage. I believe he will replace the unjust judiciaries and raise up righteous judges. But it is critical that we realize that the true state we are living in instead of engaging in business as usual. If the oil runs dry and the lamp goes out in the church, it's impossible to continue going through the motions with institutional Christianity. But in reality, it's just cosmetic. Cosmetic Christianity is much like costume jewelry, lots of luster and shine without real substance. One of my spiritual fathers, the late Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole, used to say it this way, high gloss, cheap merchandise. We must not be content 
with our compensatory facades or compensating on the outside for the lack on the inside because without the presence of God, our public celebrations and displays are powerless. In other words, a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. When the time comes to go to another depth of spiritual battle, the very soul of our nation will crumble if the church does not take its rightful place. Our lamp must be full with the oil of the Holy Spirit. We can speak the Christian lingo and make public declarations, but without the presence and the power of God, there is no upper room experience. Remember I shared this earlier, the late Leonard Ravenhill, who embraced me like a spiritual grandson, used to say, many want the upper room experience like on the day of Pentecost, but they're unwilling to humble themselves on their knees at the cross of Christ. You see, many want the presence and power of God, yet forget that we cannot circumvent the place of humility, holiness, and honesty that comes in the posture of our knees. We need a fresh revelation of the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection in a place of authentic humility, dying to self. I'll add this little piece that A.W. Tozer used to say, self is the opaque veil that hides the face of God from us. You see, one of the highest forms of worship is simple obedience to God. He provides for us public power rather than public powerlessness. Our prayerlessness, though, in private has become powerlessness in public. We need courageous voices of prophetic clarity to resound from the pulpits of America as well as righteousness to permeate through the halls of politics. We have a renegade judiciary and we need a generation of righteous judges raised up in the land. We need princes, politicians, priests and pastors, prophets and people who love God and others more than they love themselves. We need from preachers to politicians, from pulpits to political offices and all in between, we need a revival of character. We need a new generation of Samuels to arise. God wants to reconfirm his covenant promise and commitment so that he can restore the nation before the lamp of the Lord goes out and the glory of God departs in the land. I know messages like this are not always easy to take. But just like when I was in the fitness business, we used to say no pain, no gain. In other words, we have to exercise our muscles if we're going to get any gain. The same is true. We need to get back to that spiritual place of flexing our spiritual muscles and realizing we're in a spiritual battle. And the only way to win a spiritual battle is to have a heart awakening with the Lord, to get back to our first love. I do believe that there's always a redemptive side of which God can do. In fact, throughout scripture, we see the scarlet thread of redemption. God always leaves us opportunities by which we can let his light shine and that we can see difficult situations turn into opportunities of the victories of God. We live in a very fallen stated world. We live in such decadence. We see moral looseness and licentiousness, but it's up to us as the church to be that plumb line, not swinging in the pendulum swings of society, but we must be a plumb line of God's righteousness and truth. We must be a people who can bring hope in the midst of difficulties, to bring healing in the time of great need. I was looking at a graphic that was posted on Pentecost Sunday from a minister in the United Kingdom, and I I just have to share this with you. It says, Christmas was God with us. Easter was God for us. Pentecost is God in us. While we need the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we need a Pentecost outpouring, an awakening of heart in the church, and we need a fresh anointing of God for revival in the land. And that comes with recognizing 
that Pentecost 2,000 years ago, that if God can do it then, God could do it now. God did a suddenly in that moment. We need one of those suddenlies of God today. I pray that in a world of such difficulty and darkness, that we would let God's light shine in us in such a way that others would see Him in us. May we be the stewards that God has entrusted us to be. May we keep our lamps full of oil, trim our lamps so that our light would shine brightly and that the presence of God would be manifested in a world that desperately needs the presence of God. May I also ask you to do something I don't normally ask during my podcasts, but would you share this message? I do believe that this message that I wrote back in 2010 and 2012 is far more important, even prophetic today, than when I first wrote them. If you'd like to publish copies, you can go to DougStringer.com or email us at somebodycares at somebodycares.org for this and other articles that I believe are very significant in calling us to that deeper place of consecration, yet with a higher sense of expectation in what God can do. And now I leave you with the words that Eli said to Hannah in her desperation in the tabernacle of Shiloh. He said to her, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him this day. And may I say it this way to those of you that are Christians, go in peace and may the Lord Jesus Christ grant you the petitions of your heart and the desires of your heart and what you have asked of him this day. In the midst of your most difficult challenges, just a word of promise from God can turn your world completely around. Out of a human impossibility, God can do what only he can do. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.